Welcome back to Faith FM, continuing on with our Encounter of God. We have hit uh, 8.04 this morning, moving on with the show into the second hour. The biggest Bible study on the planet. Yes, the 20 million movement. We're going to be talking about um, amazing stuff this morning. Of course, continuing on with our theme of education. But today is is a little bit, um, a little bit interesting. A little bit interesting. Uh, like, I, I, I kind of was caught by surprise. I knew, I, I don't know, I maybe knew that this would be a topic coming up in our 20 million movement study, but then I was just like, wow, this is really great. So, um, to this week's theme is worship in education and how worship relates to uh, education. Of course, we've been talking about the importance of education, how that relates to um, godliness, and now it's kind of like how yeah, worship relates to that thing. Um, so we're going to kick it off with uh, our first day here. Um, and it opens up with a quote, Worship is a part of humanity, a part of human nature, even fallen um, human nature. There is like, I think um, it would be, you know, being that most of the world is religious, and we don't really see this living in a secular society like Australia, um, but you know, in the rest of the world, being that you know, we see so much religiosity. Worship is a huge thing for people. What do you What do you reckon, Darren? Oh, definitely. I think worship is pretty huge. Um, we saw a lot of that happening at the weekend with the American election. Um, people are out there dancing in the streets and celebrating. Um, politics is actually one of the altars where people worship. I've read a book recently called The Altars Where We Worship. Mm-hmm. And um, what I was saying was that, yeah, a lot of Americans are now stopping going to church in some ways, but they aren't stopping worshipping. What mm. it says is in their places, Americans have constructed altars from the stuff of popular culture, mm. namely body and sex, entertainment, sports, politics, mm-hmm. big business, science and technology to supplement or supplant the role once occupied by traditional worship. Mm. That's interesting. I like how I, I I like how it uses the word there traditional instead yeah. of godly. Because like or, you know, we could say, oh, th- these things have taken the role of, you know, godly and true worship. Um, but ultimately, it's the, the point that it's making is whether it's in the context of religion or not, worship exists. We all worship something. Yes. That's what it's saying. And I mean, for those that know me, you know my big AFL plan, fan and Richmond third premiership in oh, four years. Wouldn't you be stoked? That was, that was good stuff. I've lived with, I've taught my son how to live with disappointment for 30 years. <laughs> But Richmond has now become a dynasty. And some would say, you worship that stuff. And maybe I do. Mm. But if if I do let that supplant God, then I am in trouble. Yes. Um, so it's a matter of what your priorities are. Um, and this yeah. is the thing. I heard a really awesome sermon. We were kind of talking on this topic um, uh, on the weekend. I heard an awesome sermon from Pastor Boris at the Newcastle University Adventist Church, where I where I personally go to worship <laughs> on a Saturday. Advertising, supplemental <laughs> advertising right there. Mate, we're getting, we're getting it done. Um, but yeah, um, we talked about why God is worthy of worship. You know, um, Revelation 4.11, the Bible says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Um, the essential notion there is that God is worthy of worship because he's in a class that no other person is in. Um, he created everything. 
That's right. It's above all and through all and in all. And, yeah, it, in um, Deuteronomy chapter 6 says he is the one. What it means by that is not just the one God, but he's the one that's worthy of worship, mm-hmm. the one that keeps everything moving and in motion and happening. Um, he is enough. He is sufficient. Mm. And I like that. And a really awesome point that Boris made on that, that it is not, um, oh, he said something really awesome. It's not Lucifer's or anybody's or anything's sinfulness that stops them from being worshipped. Um, this is a really, really good point because when you hear that, it's like, oh, but wait, so you can worship things that are filled with sin? Well, obviously, because people do it. Yep. But that's not actually the limiting factor of, of why, you know, God says, worship me. It's not because he is or isn't a sinner, because even Lucifer, before he sinned, wasn't worthy of worship. The thing is, is that God is in a completely different class of being than anything on earth, um, than anything on earth or above or you know, that's why the commandment says, you know, don't make idols of anything yeah. on this earth or, or in the heaven above um, because, you know, or, or below the earth um, in the Ten Commandments because it's like nothing, nothing that you'll find in any of those things uh, in the class that God is of that's worship right. as the ultimate creator. Um, so that's. Well, most of the cool stuff you look at, um, like body and sex, entertainment, sports, politics, big business. And science, technology, you can worship them, but in the end, there's an emptiness there. Um, mm. you, you're left feeling empty. It's like a placebo. Um, mm. You don't end up feeling filled at the end. Yeah, Richardson won the premiership, but yeah, life moves on. Um, yeah, that's true. How, how next year we might you... lose. <laughs> how, and that, that's the other thing. Those things that can be worshipped are so unstable yeah. and ever-changing. You know, like, for example, like m- money is easily like the biggest the biggest thing that people worship or, or make number one in their life. And it's like I've had personal experience of this. I've seen this personally. The the uh, the way that money can bite bite back. It is a it is a fickle God because one at one moment it's all there, it's all for you, it's all good to go, and at the next minute it's not. And the thing is, money can never buy you happiness. Um we we think it's um like people think it, it, you're going to be happy, you got lots of money, but then you want more, you want more, mm-hmm. and it's empty, it leaves you feeling empty. So, um, and society sells you, get more money, earn more money, yeah, wow. the economy, um, but um, it never buys you happiness. And, and people even shift it. Like, I, um, I remember growing up seeing like a meme on Facebook, and I was like, you know, for me being a motorbike rider, it was like, money can't buy you happiness, but it can buy you a, a dirt bike. And that's pretty <laughs> close. Yes, but it can. It, buy, for me, it's buy a new chook. That's so awesome. Uh, That's that is a perspective that I've never heard before, but I'm so glad that we have it in the studio. Um, But yeah, ultimately, it's just this idea that. But even that, like you know, a dirt bike, whatever it may be, like ultimately, you come to your wits' end with whatever it is. It can't continually um, sustain. And I think when you read um, the book of um, Solomon Mm. in Ecclesiastes, he ends up saying that everything is meaningless in the yes. end he's, he's the richest man he's the wisest man yeah he had it all wives Why, everything. everything yeah and he says in the end it's all just useless mm-hmm. unless you worship believe in trust in put your hope in god that's mm-hmm. what he ends up in and this is the thing it's like you know if you don't worship those things as we've been talking about you worship you know we all worship something if you don't worship those things you, it can only be replaced with god like it's not you can't be um immune from worship you can't 
you know, step out of the realm of I'm not worshipping anything because then it's you can worship yourself. You can be in any of those spaces. But um, ultimately, um, the worship of God is in worship in general is so like so intrinsic to the Christian experience, um, to an experience with God um, that it would definitely have a relationship to um, education. But now, just on this theme of we all worship something, we were talking about before the break, where we would go with this Bible study, and I think we kind of unanimously decided, man, let's talk about the example that the Bible gives um, about worship and worshiping something in Daniel chapter 3. This is a classic story. Isn't it? It's. I love it. I love this story. I love this book. I'm like, I think a lot of people love this book, but I'm like, this... Definitely, it's a top. It's a top three for me. The book of Daniel, um, because it's just jam packed with not only incredible information, being being one of the prophetic books, but also great lessons. And uh, this particular lesson, like yeah, I think about that, the lessons of Daniel, the way that Daniel and his friends uh, lived. You know, you think of the lesson of. Um, you know, staying staying persistent in persecution, the lessons of, uh, you know, I think about Daniel chapter 4 and what pride will lead you to. It's all about, This is all about worship and mm. and putting things in place of God and statues and idols, Ooh. what we're talking about. It's all in this book. It's one of the most exciting books in the Bible. Definitely. But that's where we get to. Chapter 3 is definitely a highlight. I think, you know, for especially as an Adventist, like, you know, we, we love the book of Daniel because of its prophetic message. But We, even, we love Daniel 2. Oh, Daniel, Daniel 2. <laughs> Um, seven, eight, uh, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Like that. That's our forte. But when it comes to this book narratively, like particularly when you talk to you know non-Adventist Christians who might not have any experience with the prophetic side of Daniel, they all look to Daniel chapter three as yep. it's it's yep. Uh, it's a kid's favorite. It's a cult classic. Um, but yeah, let's just start reading, I guess, from verse one and just make our way through and learn yep. some lessons about worship. Want me to start? Yeah, go for it. Chapter 3, verse 1 of Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted out, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the ziver, the lyre, the pipes and the other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Oh, awesome stuff. (laughs) Okay, there is... um a lot of narrative here just to give some context basically in the chapter before this Nebuchadnezzar has been informed um, because of this dream that he's had of a statue that his kingdom is coming to an end sounds a bit like the election but (laughs) (laughs) oh man yeah well this is a highly political situation you have Nebuchadnezzar he's the ruler of you know one of the first great globalistic Empires. empires, you know, where, you know, a single nation rules over a single empire or a single centralized power rules over many different diverse nations. Um, and he has made a great overarching rule here after being informed, hey, your kingdom is coming to an end. That's signified by this statue that's of different metals. He's oh, like, self-exact. So just make the whole image gold. Yeah. He's like, 
he's he's a problem solver, Nebuchadnezzar. He's one of the great builders of the ancient world, and then he's it's a huge statue. Look at ninety feet. That's, that's huge. Ma- that's ninety feet. I like the question always is is like, okay, was it pure gold or you know when we read about the Ark of the yeah. Covenant, it's like wood overlaid in gold. Man, if that's pure gold, that home, oh, I I would hate to think how much that costs. Like, I wonder where it ended up. This is the real question. Oh, well, I think after this it would have been, it probably would have been cut down. He probably would have destroyed it and smashed it up because we know by the end of Nebuchadnezzar's life he did have a genuine... Deranged. And- he was deranged, but then he had a genuine turn to God. You know, so I think that he would have gotten rid of uh, the statue because the reason it was set up was to be worshipped. It was and all the, about worship. And the purpose of the worship was to signify the greatness that Nebuchadnezzar had over even God himself. That, hey, what I've done is worth worshipping. Like, I'm the man. I'm legit. Uh, you know, I am. I mean something. I am somebody. And this is something... I made Babylon great again. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually such a timely... Like, in this particular story as well, because we're talking about, you know, the Neo-Babylonian Empire, which was taking the fundamentals of Babylon, Babylon as a nation and then spreading it out to the world, making Babylon great again after it's been given a, you know, in terms of prophetic swift blow. That's powerful stuff. This is very relevant chapter, I think. Um, but ultimately, yeah, it's all about worship. It's about this is what we have done. This is how amazing we are as people. Therefore, you know, and Nebuchadnezzar, this is how amazing I am as a person. Therefore, worship me, which we talked about earlier. You know, Nebuchadnezzar is not deserving of worship because not only is he a sinful human being, but he's not in the class of deserving deserving it. Um, (laughs) Although, you know, he thinks he deserves it because, you know, look at what I've created, this great nation. He's a mere king, but God says, I set up kings and I tear down kings. That's what chapter two has said. Yeah, that's what (laughs) Chapter two has said if you've, uh, you know, you do a deep study of the book of like Habakkuk, for example, that whole book is about how God has set up Nebuchadnezzar and the Chaldeans to rule the world as, you know, in response to, um, you know, Jerusalem's unfaithfulness. The the whole reason for Nebuchadnezzar's being, and we find that in chapter four of um, Daniel as well, the whole reason for Nebuchadnezzar's being and his position is because God's put him there. Yet again, in his human pride, he has called for worship. And what that looks like is, hey, we've set up a statue when this epic uh, music by all these different uh, musicians plays, um, then you will oh, fall to down. your now, you'll, you'll fall to your knees, bow down. Interestingly, I love this, uh, like something that we're seeing here is that false worship often mimics true worship. Because this yeah. reminds me a lot of like, you know, the church experience which is you show up to church you know you go you sing your hymns you know they have there's the, a hymn there you're right music hymns yeah praying uh, bowing prayer bowing you know um at church on the weekend i think it was the first time in a while where we we said prayer and because usually like just because of the you know covid and everything when we've prayed um we've been praying for the offering and i don't know there just hasn't been a huge precedent of you know getting on your knees but this uh, at the last church service i went to it was like hey guys like let's get on our knees and bow you know prostrate ourselves before god in you know ultimate um recognition of worship. worship, you know, of who he is. And Nebuchadnezzar is doing the same here. He's like, because of my power, because of, you know, who I am, because of my might, because of what I've done, you must worship me. But unlike God, though, and this is, again, although it mimics true worship, it's not true worship because the alternative and what we find later in this chapter is like, okay, so you can worship me just as God says, you know, worship me freely. I, I have the choice to go to church, to bow before God. Um, Nebuchadnezzar's like, all right, so you're going to worship me when you hear the music, and if you don't, well, then you'll die. 
So, so, so <laughs> this is a threat, whereas worship of God is a choice. That's yes. a big difference. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's what's, you know, bringing you back. Oh, there's so much that could be said. Bringing you back to the topic of worship and, and education, you know, um, we talked about education on the weekend in my Sabbath school class. And, you know, this idea that, it, you know, it's often about applying ourselves. And, you know, one of the things that education teaches us is that, you know, we have the choice to take those steps and God, you know, delivers us to the, to, to, to the success that we choose to have in him, you know, kind of this yeah. idea that like, when we um, respond to God's call, when we make the decision, then God is, you know, faithful and respectful to that, and He leads us to success. Whereas this is just like, no, like you must worship me, like, which this is oh, again another difference between Babylon and uh, Nebuchadnezzar and God here is that God, being a God of love, you know, giving that yep. freedom of choice, saying. You know, I love you enough to even deal with your disobedience, to let you live how you Long want to suffering. live. Yep, he, be patient and kind. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, Nebuchadnezzar's here. He's just gun to the head. He's like, look, worship me. Um, but yeah, what did you think? Is there anything more to say? Or can we move on? What do you reckon, Darren? I think that reading, but because um, it gets really exciting when you're reading. Oh, but, yeah, it does. But yeah. Um, so it says, anyone who refuses to obey mm. will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. Mm. Verse 7. So all the... Sa- at the sound of musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So everyone here is bowing down. Mm. But then it says in verse 8, a but some mm. of the astrologers went to the king and informed them on the Jews. Mm. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Hmm. Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon, they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Mm, powerful stuff here. We see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego take a stand for God. And that's like the... that's. That's another thing that relates to kind of our current world situation and the election that, you know, whatever it may be that's going on around us politically or, you know, whatever occupation we're in, whatever we're doing that I, I would consider maybe maybe even a little bit a-religious, um, even though there are huge religious yep. implications in everything we do, that they take it, you know, whenever there is a contention there, they take a stand for God. That's, that's right. powerful. Uh, yeah, well, I don't know. I used to think if I was on that plane... Where would I stand? Mm. <laughs> would I be hiding behind a tree Ooh. or something? Ooh. That is, I think that this chapter just evokes so much, like, it's a call to action. And we're going to finish off this story right after this. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right. So, continuing on that Bible study, we've been talking about worship. Uh, we've been talking, and specifically in Daniel chapter 3. And, of course, we've just come to the moment where... Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three Jews who were taken with Daniel to Babylon as captives. And we know after the events of Daniel chapter 2 became, um, you know, overseers of the province of Babylon, yep. you know, great political figures. They have been called out here for not worshipping the golden statue um, yep. that Nebuchadnezzar set up. And I was just saying, if I was on that plane, 
Oof. Would I have been able to stand alongside those three men or would I have hid behind a tree or just bent my knees to blend in? Wow. I mean, I don't know. It's pretty heavy stuff knowing that it's mm. a fiery furnace they're burning and you're going in it if you don't bow down. But these three choose to stand no matter yes. what. <laughs> and it's, of course, adhering, you know, for them as Jewish, you know, uh, commandment keepers, um, as men of God, of course, going back to the Ten Commandments, you know, Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 to 6, where it says, you know, Make another, no other gods before you, have no other gods before you, don't bow down to them, don't worship them as others do. Um, you only have one God in heaven, and they're taking it seriously. Yeah, but these three Jewish boys, remember, I was just thinking the other day that every day, at least twice a day, they say this, um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Thou shalt love the Lord of God for your heart, for your mm. soul, for your strength. They're saying that twice a day. Mm. And so that's in their inner being. Yes. Um, it's, it's sort of something that they live by and something here that they stand by mm. no matter what. Um, yeah, it's, it's courage to stand. Um, it's what their parents have taught them right from day one. Mm. And it's what's instilled in their very core of essence to live is Christ, to live is God, yes. um, doesn't matter about anything else. Of course, I'm going to do a little bit of a, I'm going to turn this Bible study on it, because I, I, we don't have a lot of time. You're I'm going to turn the Bible study on its head, because we know, of course, like an amazing miracle happens after this, right? They're, we all know the story. They're thrown into the fiery furnace by Nebuchadnezzar for not obeying his commands, and you know then they're in the fiery furnace and they don't get burnt up. You know? That's right. Um, and Nebuchadnezzar's watching this. From yeah. a distance. <laughs> From a distance. And it's like, you know, it's not like they stepped through the bonfire. Like, it says that those who threw them into the fire, the flames were so hot that it killed even yeah. those people. That's pretty hot. Um, and then an amazing miracle takes place. Um, you know, Nebuchadnezzar is watching as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and a fourth person, one who looks like the Son of God, is standing there in the furnace with them. Um, Let me read this quickly. Verse 24. But suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we just tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed and the fourth looks like the son of God. That is... <laughs> Powerful, And it's like, again, God has come through for these guys. He's done an amazing miracle. But I think his ama God's amazing miracle, you know, earth-bending uh, miracle, is in response to a miracle that has already happened. And I think it's what I would call, like, the miracle of conversion. Courageous conversion. <laughs> yes, that they have made the decision that no matter what, I'm going to stand here. I'm going to die for these. Well, it says in verse 18, but even it says, I know our God can defend us, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to your majesty that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. So in other words, they've got the courage to say that I know that God can help us, but even if he doesn't, we, we would rather die than, than stand up on that mm. plane. Which is, is powerful because not many people are willing to go that far for anything. There are, there are some people like, well, there's ultimately something that we're willing to go that far for. But to make that stand for God, because usually it's ourselves. The it's thing right. that we're willing to go that far for is usually our, ourselves. You know, it, it's usually like you know, just wanting to survive and, and keep, you know, keeping on living. But these guys make a decision that is so selfless, that yep. is so morally upright, that is so, like, you know, 
giving glory to God over the the well-being of themselves. Um, you know, it's amazing that God saves them. But I think just there it shows the power that God has to really make something of a person. Yeah, but also it shows to everyone here. I mean, here's a king saying, I am the Babylon. I, Babylon's going to be forever. This touches everything. And, um, yeah, I am the one. Then God says, hang on, mm. hang on. Mm-hmm. I'm the one and look at this. <laughs> wow. Because he's proving to Nebuchadnezzar, like, I can do something that Even you can't powerful. do. Yeah. You know, I, the verse, um, I believe it's in the book of Matthew, where it says, the Bible says, um, don't fear him who can destroy the body, but fear him who can destroy the soul. That's right. God is, you know, God is the, the ultimate. The buck, the, the buck stops with him. The buck, the buck stops <laughs> no, I know with... you're saying. He is the one, as, as um, Jeremy says, the only one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's above all and through all and in all and is, is the one. Yes. And I think it's powerful that, like, although we turn to so many things to worship, um, Ultimately, none of those things can give us what God yeah. can. And I think the enemy keeps throwing more and more things in our way. Like Definitely. he knows. Well, I know I can get down of all things with a chook or, <laughs> or Richmond winning three premierships or wow. whatever. Let's distract Darren slightly. Get him busy. Um, throw, throw a bit of stuff in his way. Take mm-hmm. his focus off God. But, and, and I guess in this day and age, do we have the courage to stand for God despite the distractions and the busyness that's been thrown around us. And of course, this time, unlike any time before, is probably one of the most important times to stand for God. And this is kind of what our 20 million movement gets to uh, towards the end of the lesson, this idea that Jesus is coming back soon. Yep. And at that time, when the world is in utter chaos, the likes of which we've never seen before, you know, we're seeing some hints of that in our world today already. Um, but when the world is in utter chaos, when there is, you know, much turbulence yep. um, and many people, you know, following the ways of the world, many people falling astray, there will be a group of people, they're described as the, the 144,000, there's yep. a group of people. Symbolic number. Yep. Uh, who are taking a stand for God. No matter what. No matter what. These are the ones what. that follow the Lamb wherever he, he goes. goes. And no <laughs> deceit is found in them, and they are perfect before the throne. And, you know, we look at that word like, perfection and it's like oh what does that mean like they're just like really good at doing stuff it's no, no. they're just a group of people who have submitted themselves completely the to focus god like these three were and and this is the thing exactly like these three were this power uh, you know this power to stand you know um yeah, people look at the 144,000, people look at those people at the end of time. You read Revelation, the language is very symbolic, and I think they, they put very high uh, esteem there. Yeah. And they're, they're like, wow, that's incredible, that's amazing. Then, you know, there's lots going on, and that's kind of scary. But this this power, like, or, the, you know, this ability to stand for God has always existed. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is evidence of that, that they made a decision to stand for God, and God was with them. Of course, it just comes with, you know, God being in your life. There always is what they call a remnant right through mm-hmm. scriptures that stand for God no matter what. Amen. So, yeah, powerful stuff this morning. We've come uh, right to the end of our Bible study, but I think if we could put a catch cry on this Bible study, if we could sum it up in a sentence, I would say, you know, there are a lot of things to worship, but only God is worthy. Amen. 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 You're listening to The Breakfast Joe Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. But now we have come to the question of the day. Question of the day. 
I love it. I love it. I'm all about it. All right, question of Today's the day. Today's a big one. Today's a big one. It is a big one. We uh, have previously talked about on Question of the Day this idea of contradicting verses in the Bible and why they exist in the first place. And Lyle gave a really awesome answer to that. And so we have kind of come to, okay, well, let's take an example of some contradicting verses and see yeah. what we can get from it. So, well, Why does the Bible seem to contradict itself? Yeah, good stuff. So let's start um, in the book of John. We have a verse here um, beginning in uh, John and verse uh, chapter 4 and verse 31, where the Bible says, In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, um, I have meat to eat that you not know. Of, uh, you do not know. Therefore, said the disciples, one another, hath a man brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My meat is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So Jesus says here, he's like, hey, he's, he's just done an amazing miracle, um, you know, talking to the woman at the well and speaking to her about her past and revealing and, you know, awesome. Um, and you got to remember the disciples have gone off to find food because yes. everyone's hungry. <laughs> yes. And they've come back and they're like, all right, you know, we've got food now. Uh, Jesus eats some food. And he's like, no, I'm doing the will of my father. Therefore, I'm sustained. Um, but next we have in Luke chapter 24, this is a little bit down the line uh, chronologically, we have Jesus talking to the disciples um, after he's died, he's resurrected, he's done the ultimate fulfilling work yep. here. Um, and they, you know, he he rocks up to them on the beach um, where, you know, he meets them again and he says to them, and while they yet not believed for joy and wondered, he said to them, have you here any food or any meat as the King James um King James says. So, so he wants some real food. He wants some. He wants to eat some food. So the question comes in then, the contradiction here is like, okay, on one hand, Jesus is saying when he's doing the will of the Father, he doesn't need to eat, he's all good. But on the other side, you know, he's, uh, he, he's you know, just done the ultimate fulfilling work. He's well, he, died on the cross and resurrected. He's done the will of the Father here. Yeah. He's, he's, he's finished. It's done. It's over. And yep. yet he's like, okay, give me some food. Um, and someone could say, okay, these are contradictory verses. And my ultimate response to that is context is everything. Amen. With all of these verses, context is everything. If we go to John chapter 4 and we think about what's just happened here. You know, Jesus has done a miracle. They've come to him asking for food, uh, asking if he wants to eat. And he says no. Um, the principle there is that, like, uh, you know, Jesus in that point could have even been going through a fast. Like, basically, he's in this place where he's like, I am and not in a place where I need to eat. Because, yeah, I am physically being sustained by God. I am being with God and that's my mm. aim right now. And Yeah, something yeah. really amazing, something really spiritual is going on here. Yet, in this verse in chapter four. Uh, in Luke 24, where they meet Jesus on the beach. Notice how it says at the start, and it says, and while they yet not believed for joy, they're looking at Jesus, he's resurrected, and they're like, okay, uh, is this legit or not? That's the context in which he asked them for food. Basically, what's going on here is they're like, okay, is Jesus really standing before us? Is he really alive? Ah. Has he really resurrected as a human being? Or was he a ghost? Or was he a ghost? Of course, this would go on to um, kind of uh, in the future, you know, go against the you know the the notion that was held by the Gnostics, for example, that Jesus wasn't really a human, um, or you know. A lot of people say, you know, Jesus wasn't really God. But here we see the ultimate melding of those two things. He's like, look, no, I'm a human being. I'm here. I'm resurrected. 
you know, and I'll prove it to you by being able to eat food. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.